Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill, the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. Today is Friday, July 7th, 2023. This is edition number 112 of season 8 as we continue looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith both from a theological point of view as well as a practical or devotional uh, uh, point of view. Um, today we are in chapter 20, continuing to look at this chapter, uh, the chapter that deals with a very important subject, uh, Christian liberty and the liberty of conscience. Uh, today we will um, consider paragraph number four, at least the first half of the paragraph, and then Monday edition we will complete chapter 20 and begin to look at chapter 21 starting on Tuesday of next week. Let's pray first and then we'll consider this fourth paragraph, at least the first half of it, together. Father, as we come again to your word, we to deal with matters related to conscience and the liberty that we have now in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that as we examine this paragraph, we will see that that liberty and, that, and, and matters pertaining to conscience has safeguards, and they are given to us by you that we might walk in peace and unity with one another, not only with our fellow brothers and sisters, but also with the world around us. We ask that your Spirit would guide and direct us. He might teach us that you'd forgive us for the ways in which we fall short of that which you have told us. And we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would guide our discussion and that which we, that is said as well as heard for the glory of your kingdom and the good of your people, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Paragraph number four reads, And because the powers which God hath ordained and the liberty which Christ hath purchased are not intended by God to destroy, but mutually to uphold and preserve one another, they who upon pretense of Christian liberty shall oppose any lawful power or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiastical, resist the ordinance of God. And for the publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity, whether concerning faith, worship, or conversation, or to the power of godliness or such erroneous opinions or practices as either in their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ has established in the church they may lawfully be called to account and proceeded against by the censures of the church. Here in this fourth paragraph, we have set forth by the Westminster divines and the gathering there um, in the framing of the Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechism, we have um, what amounts to certain safeguards that are placed into this discussion. Because as I've already mentioned before, it's very easy and the temptation, I suspect, is great at times to play or use the conscience card when it is not appropriate to do so. Now, I've heard it done by people. They will use that, um, that, um, that defense on matters in which they have no defense. For instance, and these are reminders or even repeated statements, that my conscience prohibits me from worshiping uh, on the Lord's day. My conscience prohibits me from doing anything that God has clearly commanded in his word. That is not a conscience issue. That is disobedience. And so to, to use the conscience as means by which you get around that which God has clearly set up and ordained is a misuse of the liberty of conscience. 
and in fact is sin. And so we're going to deal with the first half of the paragraph. Paragraph number four will conclude with that statement there where it says, resist the ordinances, the ordinance of God. First, we need to note the opening expression. And because that word and joins us to the matters that are connected to paragraph three, matters that I've already considered. But let me just read paragraph th- number three, just as a reminder. They who upon pretense of Christian liberty do practice any sin or cherish any lust do thereby destroy the end of Christian liberty. In other words, it's an inappropriate use of Christian liberty. Christian liberty is not a matter of which we can then have license to sin. That should be very evident. That should be very plain. That should be almost something that I don't even need to say. But unfortunately, uh, people do do this at times. Which is that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Okay, so the frame now in paragraph number four, it's connected to paragraph three when the confession says, and, and because the powers which God hath ordained and the liberty which Christ hath purchased are not intended by God to destroy, but to mutually uphold and preserve one another, they who upon pretense of Christian liberty oppose these things that God has established. This is the problem. This is the fence, the fence line now that's being established. We first note that God has ordained certain powers. Uh, he has given really four different types of government in our world today. The first one is self-government. That is to say that you have a responsibility before the Lord to govern your life. Now, there are some people who are incapable of doing that, and they need others to govern them. And that's why then God also instituted the civil government. And their powers are enumerated by the things that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13. But then there is also the family government. And again, those powers are enumerated by the, com- uh, by the moral law and the fifth commandment. They're enumerated in Ephesians chapter 6 and in other places uh, throughout the Bible. And then we have church government. Now, these are not mutually exclusive um, uh, ordinances. These are not mutually exclusive um, powers that God has established. Sometimes a person who is unable to manage themselves or govern themselves, the civil government may have to intervene. Uh, if a person continually breaks the law and does break the law, they, are subject, they subject themselves to the powers that God has arranged and ordered in the civil realm. But what about the person who continues, even under pretense of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience, continues to sin or violate the commands of God and disrupts or disturbs the very peace of the church? Uh, They cannot use the liberty conscience. They are unable to govern themselves, obviously. And so the church government uh, must intervene. And in my context, that government is comprised of elders Um, They are known as the session, and they have the responsibility of governing the church to guide and lead her, to shepherd her, to direct her, and point her to Christ in all things. And so sometimes, because an individual in the church is either um, holding on to erroneous doctrines, advancing erroneous um, uh, positions or erroneous uh, statements regarding the Christian faith, sometimes uh, the elders of the church exercising their duly constituted right as that which has been ordered by God has to intervene. Sometimes people in the church are unable to manage themselves, and so the elders have to intervene to correct and modify their behavior in such that it doesn't disturb or disrupt the peace of the church. Again, you cannot rightfully say 
it is my liberty of conscience to disrupt the peace of the church. You cannot rightly say it's my liberty of conscience to post or publish erroneous doctrines. Uh, those things are framed and, go and governed uh, by the confessional statements that the church itself publishes. And so to do those things is, is to functionally destroy the liberty of conscience and to abuse the governments in which God has established. And so here we see God has, in, in fact, ordained certain powers. Uh, and although it is true that we have liberty which Christ has purchased to ourselves, those powers and that right in that Christian liberty is not intended by God to destroy, to bring chaos or confusion, but it is, to, it is designed for the mutual good of the body of Christ, that, that is to say within the ecclesiastical realm, or the civil realm, that is the society in which you find yourself. Those laws and rules that you may not like, the speed limit, stop sign at the end of your street, which you think is ridiculous. Okay, fine, that's, you're entitled to that opinion, I suspect. But you still need to keep it, and if you violate it, you may find yourself at the hands of the civil magistrate dealing with the fact that you didn't obey the speed limit, you didn't obey the stop sign. And so these things are given to mutually uphold and preserve one another. Imagine if the civil government didn't have the power of the sword to deal with justly murderers. What kind of chaos would we find ourselves in as a society? And on it goes in that way. And so it is important to recognize these truths. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Now this is the Apostle Peter. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it, to be, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So here Peter appeals uh, to hear the civil government specifically, and using the words of Dr. Van Dixorn in his commentary, uh, he has this uh, very helpful um, paragraph in which he says, Indeed, Peter called early Christians under hostile governments to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Of course, the same applies to us, as does Peter's additional exhortation that we live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And he goes on to say that um, uh, later on there in verse six, uh, 16. We can obey evil governments unless they command us to do evil. Now, that is a principle of Scripture, and we as Christians should abide by that recognition that if the government asks me to sin, then I ought not obey the government. With that said, you also need to recognize that you may be subject to the punishment of the government regardless of the fact that you're right. And so we need to be mindful of these things. God has instituted them for us. Now, where do we read of the uh, at least one aspect of this, this, this uh, safeguard that God has instituted in the church? Romans chapter 13, it got a lot of attention during the COVID crisis or pandemic or whatever you want to call it. I certainly have my own, own opinions as to that matter, but that's for another time and day. Uh, but Romans 13, verses 1 through 8, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, here, Paul's immediate context is the civil magistrate. But it's true, nonetheless, of the governing authorities both in the home, 
That's fathers who, uh, who stand before the Lord and give an account for the life of their family, but also elders in the church as they seek to shepherd, guide, and rule uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All of those, all of those realms of government, all of those matters, whether civil, self, family, or church, government, have been instituted by God. Now, it's important to recognize that because it ought to cause us to think very soberly about these things, that we might live in peace and harmony in the common good of society and the church. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Again, you can easily apply this not only to the immediate context of the civil magistrate, but also to the context of the, of the government of the church. If you resist the lawful directives of the elders within their purview, then you don't just resist them, you resist God. And you cannot say liberty of conscience, Christian freedom, when you're in violation of that which God has erected. Now verse 3 gets into the, the, the crux of the issue for Paul here. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Again, your conscience must be held captive to the word of God. To say that your conscience is held captive to disobeying the civil government or your elders in the church or whatever the case may be is to, uh, is to abuse the liberty of conscience and is indeed to sin. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Nobody likes to do that. I admit, I understand. All too well, I understand. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And then speaking more specifically about the church itself and the government of the church, again, some try to use the conscience card and enact rules and regulations that they think others should follow, and God hasn't necessarily established those things. I was in a church one time where a lady insisted that every woman in the church must wear dresses, and if they don't, it's sin. Well, I don't think so. The elders didn't think so. God's Word doesn't think so. Where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from their tradition. They want to hold on to that as their own rule as they live in the church. That's fine and great. Wear dresses all the time if you're a lady. But don't tell everybody else they must too, just because you think that should be a rule. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, what does that mean? It means what it says. Obey your leaders. When they tell you to do something, when they give you a directive that's in agreeing, agreement with the Bible, which is the, the, the final authority in faith and practice, then you need to do what they say. Now, I have experienced this as a pastor. I've seen members of the church where they're told to do th something, the lawful directive of their elders who will give an account for their souls, and they set it aside and ignore it like it doesn't matter. My friends, it is sin. You can't play the liberty card. You cannot. Insofar as the elders are faithfully exercising their due authority 
to declare the Word of God into the hearts and minds of the church. The church needs to heed it. And they are to submit. That, what does that mean? Well, that means there's going to be times in which you don't necessarily agree with a, per, a, a prerogative of the session, the government of the church. You might not like the fact that you have red hymnals and you want blue, or the carpet's green and you prefer red, or the walls are yellow and you prefer blue. That, that may be all true, but you need to submit to it. You, you need to recognize that they have that right to exercise their due prerogative in matters pertaining to the life of the church. That is your responsibility. Their responsibility is to faithfully shepherd you through these matters. They are the ones who will give an account for your soul. You too will as well. And so, again, the liberty of conscience and Christian freedom does not destroy these, these uh, fence lines that God has established, but it rather, it, uh, it rather establishes them more fully for the good of the uh, of our society but also for the good of the church now even in your family government there are rules the word of god governs fathers do not exasperate your children to wrath children should be obedient to their parents but you also enact other rules as is your right as parents within the framework of your home and your children can't play liberty of conscience and say well i don't my conscience doesn't think i need to clean my bedroom Really? No. Yeah, you are to obey. What I'm asking you to do as a parent is not sin. It is a good thing. I'm disciplining and discipling you, and I'm training you and teaching you that work itself is a good thing. And the list goes on and on. Every parent has those kinds of rules in their home, and it is certainly their prerogative. But to, to behave in such a way as to resist these things under the pretense of Christian liberty is, in fact, to resist the ordinance of God, the ordinance of God, the institution that God has established, and to resist not only those who have that authority, but more to the point, they resist God himself. So we need to be very careful in this area. We need to allow our conscience and our right to Christian freedom to be governed by the scriptures as given to us. That is the only thing that can hold captive your freedom in conscience. And so this paragraph is very specific as to the fence lines and the barriers and boundaries that God has established. There's a consequence if you seek to break them. We'll consider that in the Monday edition. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Monday edition, when we complete chapter 20, the final half of paragraph number four, may the Lord help you today. Spend time in his word. Make sure you're in worship on the Lord's day uh, with God's people to publicly worship and honor him. God bless.